From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. This podcast is sponsored by Sage Accounting. Sage gives entrepreneurs and small businesses the information, insights, and tools they need to succeed. Sign up for a 30-day trial to start using Sage Accounting in your business using the offer code of SAGEMARCH. My name is Talvin Collins. I'm the CEO and founder of Melon Mobile. So what is Melon Mobile? So we South African Africa's first digital-only telco. Now, what does that mean? We're, uh, we have no stores. We we have no physical presence and the entire journey of building your mobile package is done online and specifically on an app so you've got the ability to choose how much data you want how many minutes you want it's messages you so required and it's just a completely different experience to what traditional mobile is where you're forced into 500 minutes 500 sms's and 5 gigs as an example or if you're on the prepaid side, you know, you're forced into certain airtime bundles and so on and so forth. So just trying to give more flexibility back to the, the end users. And we saw a big opportunity and gap in the market to do something completely different. So, yeah, it's an interesting. So does this allow the user to really design their own experience, their own, you know, packages, be able to, you know, pay for what they really want to use rather than, you know, whether it's, you know, the contract system where, you can use up to whatever, and then you know you just get a surprise at the end of the yep. month, or a prepaid where you know if you run out, you run out, and now you need to go figure out how to you know top up. 100%. Is this some kind of middle point between the two, or what? It's exactly that. So, yeah, you know everyone asks, oh, we contract or we prepaid? We're neither. We're a subscription. Okay, so it's completely configurable. So you decide how much data you want. You decide how much how many minutes you want. And you can change it. So if you decide this month you wanted five gigs and, and 500 minutes, next month you only want one gig and 100 minutes, no problem, you can change it. So the flexibility is completely there. And to your point, you know, contracts are cheaper from a, a data and voice perspective, but then they're long you in and they're very specific in set. Mm. Prepaid is more flexible, but then it's that much more expensive. So we're right in the middle offering sort of a contract pricing with prepaid flexibility. So that's the really what we've done. Yeah. With a complete focus on the end user versus anything else. And I think it's it's a stated goal of ours is that the customer is our focus. And you know, I, I've always said this is we focus too much on what was I think companies focus too much on on shareholder value. Mm. I mean you create customer value, you automatically get shareholder value. Yeah. So I that that's a new point on that. You know, I think everyone's seeing just a lot of companies coming into spaces that were previously dominated by very large, you know, almost monopolies, you know, where you have three to four players in a space and then you get new players coming to change things up. Do you think of you guys as being a disruptor of the space and thinking about things differently than sort of the incumbents of the, of the industry? 100%. You know, I believe... Disruption is key and it's important, but mm. the other thing is don't disrupt for the sake of it. Okay, you have to make sure that there's a, a space to disrupt, there's a, a product or, or service or whatever else to disrupt. And, and yes, absolutely. So we are disrupting the, the status quo, 
because there's a gap. And I think, you know, mobile hasn't changed in the last 30 years. It stayed the same, products stayed the same, constructs have stayed the same. And I think it's, but yet the world has changed. Mm-hmm. So we just felt that we needed to, to do something a little bit different. It's been a hard journey because <laughs> you don't walk in and, and you know, take software off the shelf because it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. You know, we, we built something completely new and bespoke. So it's, uh, it, it's been a tough journey from that perspective. But yeah, we're excited for, you know, we're three weeks in. And so far, there's been a fantastic reception to the product and, and uptake is, is dead. Yeah. How do you even begin to build out something like this, right? And, and I've heard the term MVNO thrown around. And I want to first understand what that means. <laughs> and then more than that, you know, what do, what, what do the beginning stages of building something like this look like? Sure. So look, let, let's start on MVNO. So MVNO is a mobile virtual network operator. Mm. So virtual because we don't have our own towers. Exactly. So we run with the backbone A network, and in this case, it's MTN. So, so that's the construct behind an MVNO. What, what makes you do this? I think it's a certain level of crazy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I'd known how hard this journey was, might not have started, but I think that's part of the entrepreneurial journey. Mm. Is stick to the vision and what you, you're trying to to achieve, and, and do it in, in bite-sized chunks and in small steps. Yeah, it's there, there's no there's no miracle cure on on these things. It's it's, it's a day by day, step by step process to 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 deliver. Mm. But we had a very clear vision on what we wanted to to achieve, and the, we we kept true to that all throughout the journey. So we made sure that we didn't. You know, there were times and just what if we, we skimp on this or, or, you know, a little bit of flexibility here, yeah, whatever else. And, and I'm glad we didn't do any of that because we'll compromise the product and, and what we're trying to deliver. So mm. we delivered by and large exactly what we, we set up as a goal uh, yeah. right up front. So obviously being an MVNO means you piggy bank off of another network. Yeah. What is the incentive or, you know, the thinking around, you know, larger networks wanting to enable something like this to happen? So I think it's a couple of things. I mean, the, the big networks cannot penetrate every single market. I mean, mm. and, and when I say market, whether it be the youth or the, the, the contract and so on and so forth. So it's how do we, how, how do they, they target these markets to make sure they're able to get there? And if you notice, if they focus on a niche and a specific demographic and customer base and segments and stuff, they can reach those markets, which they, they couldn't otherwise reach at and or at least reach far cheaper than yeah. if they had to try to do it themselves. So I think that's something that, that's one of the incentives is you need a partner out there that's going to do that. One of our stated things is that we don't want to erode this market. We want to create value because otherwise, you know, we could come in and be super cheap and have no other value proposition, but we'll end up We'll, we'll last a year or two and then close the doors, you know, and, and that doesn't help either. So it's, we've really tried to stick with the flexibility, the, the non-expiry and all those kind of things as a baseline for, for what we're building. Mm. And, you know, obviously you've had experience building something like this before, which was uh, supersonic. Yep. Can you talk about the experience that you had there and how it sort of shaped your thinking around, you know, launching a, a similar business but in a different way. Yeah, I think the one thing I learned at Supersonic was to try and automate as much as possible. Mm. You you can't automate everything. But what I saw there as well was in building this, you can over-automate as well. 
and make assumptions on automation. So it's, we've automated so much of our processes, but we allow at every single step for a manual process because when automation doesn't work, then what do you do? Mm. And I think that's where a lot of companies go is they, I don't call it over digitizing. So it's, you know, when I hear people, we're going to digitize the business, I, I want to run away because <laughs> it's, it only means getting rid of the call center as mm -hmm. an example and saying, well, you have an app and do it all yourself. Yeah. It's not what digitization is. It, it's, it's completely not that. It's saying, how do we make the process simple for the user? So creating an app doesn't mean it's simple. If the user experience is terrible, it's not more simple. You know, yeah. The store is easier, right? So it's, it's how do we balance the, the user experience and all of these things. And then back to back in processes. We had an interesting one of our, our partners that we were engaging early on. They have a product and solution that's really incredible, but they supported eight to five Mondays to Fridays and eight to one on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. I can't work with you because you don't understand that you bought the digital product, which means it needs to be supported 24 seven. Yeah. You know, it's, if I want to build a product at midnight, build the product at midnight. If I want to sell briefcase at one in the morning, I'm going to sell briefcase at one in the morning. You can't tell me, well, sorry, you're not allowed to work, sell briefcase at one in the morning. Yeah. Okay. You know, so those are the kind of operational processes that nobody, nobody looks at. They're like, well, we still live and work in an eight to five environment. So the app and everything else is just going to have to function on those timers. It's nonsense. Mm. Okay, so, so, I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk about automation, but at the same time, say, don't over-digitalize things. Don't. How do you think about that sort of customer service, customer care part of things where you guys do have a call center and you want people to be able to speak to a human being in a world where everyone's going, let's go AI chatbot crazy. How do you think about those two things? I, and I think this is it. So we try to automate as much as possible. So for let's 99% of the journey, you can self help. But when that 1% happens, speak to a human. Because at that point, you climbed the digital journey, didn't work, now you need to speak to a human. To then put someone through a white process of, you know, did you on our website, on the left corner, to check that you can self help this specific problem. It's not useful. Yeah. I think it's, and I think bots have a place but it's specific self-help. Like, so for instance, a recharge, I think there's a place for what yeah. in, in that, that example. I think changing your package and so on. So that's fine, because it's a very specific use thing. But where I'm saying, I've tried to port my number and it's not working. There's no automation that's going to work. Mm. Automation tried it, failed. Now I need a human intervention. So make sure there are humans to assist with that. Now, that's where everyone goes wrong. So like, we're not going to put any humans in the box and just turn you circles and over and over and over again. Now, uh, that's not useful. And it, it just degrades the customer experience and it introduces friction. And I think we need to reduce friction in everything we do. I mean, it's, we live in a fast-paced world. The last thing we want is friction. So what we've tried to do is remove as much friction as possible. But the second you experience friction, chat to us and, and we, we've got humans there to actually assist. Yeah. I, know, I just got lost by your answer. <laughs> good thing is I get to it. Yeah, it, it, good thing is I've got like the AI editor. So <laughs> I'll be able to cut this out. Yeah. So you guys think 
you guys are building a digital first network and you don't have physical stores you don't have and we started to see this happen in other industries whether it's like time bank building out just kiosks in different spaces like that how do you think about access in terms of people being able to use this how do you think of that space so so one is it's higher than we think i mean it's, it's over 60 percent smartphone penetration which is impressive but we are starting to, to put some cars into retail stores so that you can get them. The one nice thing about our, because we've got a self recon app, you can walk into a retail store and walk out of the sun. You don't have to recur it. Mm. Okay, so, and our SIM cards are ultimately just pieces of plastic in a cardboard wrapper. They have no physical airtime or data or anything on them. So there, there's no fraud risk or anything else. Just the only way to activate it is to do it through the app. And there you have to do the self recon. So, so, so that to confront all the compliance things. So it, it is going to, to retail stores. So from next week, you'll start to see it in some retail stores and, and, and we want to expand it that way. But we don't see us ever having physical stores. For us, it's about distributing some and making the accessibility to the store really easy. And that's why we're going to, into, into physical retail stores, but for no other reason. Yeah. The, I mean, and, and our entire support system runs off WhatsApp chat or Facebook Messenger or whatever Messenger tool you, you prefer, but it's it's really about. I, I mean, let's take WhatsApp as an example. It's ubiquitous, right? I mean, everyone uses WhatsApp. So, would you would you rather be on a, on a call with a call center agent for thirty minutes trying to solve something, or just WhatsApp and say, "Listen, I'm straight you with us. Send me a screenshot, a voice note, or whatever else." I think it's the latter, and yeah. that's that's really what we're trying to do. Is, is is simplify those processes and make sure we can actually deliver really great customer service. And that's why we'll keep people in the background. I, I can't see a space where I remove forcing agents. It's like, it will go against everything that's in my DNA. So, <laughs> so we're not going to be a chat GPT call center. It's refreshing to hear you say stuff, something like that. When you think about the MVNO space and the future of just the, you know, space in terms of a lot more people needing data versus airtime versus other services from network providers. How do you think about the future of products in this area and what you guys are planning to do here in this space? So, so I think the first one is really around the expiry. I mean, I would, that could launch and it's out there, but there's no trust in it. So, so what we find, I mean, we, we've got a user mm. who did 17 one gig topics. And I was like, why are you doing that? Just buy 10 gigs. Mm -hmm. Because significantly cheaper. I mean, our price curve on a 1 gig versus 10 versus 20 is significantly cheaper. But the answer was simple. We don't trust non-expired data. And it's, a, it's an industry-wide thing. It's not, a, it's not us. So we've got a lot of, a lot of work to do in terms of, of getting the, the users out there to change behavior, one. And trust is, is two. So, you know, why? So buy 20 gigs. And if it lasts you one month or two months or three months, that's cool. But you've got that flexibility. So that behavior of that, just want to run out of data and I'm so scared or what, we want to change that mindset. So, so when you change the usage behaviors, to, to, so from a minimalistic mindset to where you say, I can't use it, I shouldn't use it, etc. to go ahead and use it because the price is that much discounted if you're buying in bulk, as an example. So that's one. And then two, it's, you know, we launch what we call our family plan, and it doesn't matter, it's not, not limited to family or anything like that. We're giving it that name, but you take a typical family, you know, 
one, two, three, four people in there, each have got different plans, different voice data requirements. But you could pull that all together, that spend, and then make sure there's no wastage. You're going to save significant amounts of money, or yeah. you're going to spend more and get more. So right. those are the two big things for me, is that if we can get that, those sort of usage behaviors and, and mindsets shifted from the traditional way of thinking to this, I think we're going to make a significant difference to the, to the lives of people out there who want data, who need data. Yeah. I think with, you know, disruptor sort of companies, you also tend to have a disruptor brand. Melon as a name is already just like, <laughs> just fun, delightful, interesting. Can you talk about how you guys think about building a brand around this, but also just the, the, the thinking that you have around going into the market? So, so the guiding principle we had when we started was to be the untelco telco. Okay, so, you know, so the big telcos tend to be very, I guess, boring, uh, stayed and so on and so forth. So we wanted to create something that was fresh. You know, a lot of people ask, where does the Melon May come from? It's because it had no meaning. Right. So we wanted a man that had very little meaning, that we could create something refreshing, something lighthearted. So you'll see our, 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 our tone, the tonality that goes into the market is lighthearted. It's slightly, you know, it's a comedic, but there, there's, a, there, there's a lighthearted angle to it. And we want to keep it that way because it, it's, everything these days is so, so serious and, and, and overdone, whereas we just want to keep it simple. So that, that's the philosophy that we've used. And, it's, you know, our, our colors are, are, are bright and refreshing and yeah. we want to keep the brand the, uh, in the same light. Yeah. Who do you think is going to use this? But more so, how do you hope that customer starts to build a relationship with your brand? So, so we're going for the, the mid-market segment. So the guys who are on prepaid as an example, who potentially wanted contracts, can't get contracts for whatever reason, but then... And, and maybe because it's the flexibility side. So we don't after that, that, that mid-market segment. You've, I think, been neglected in this space and looking for real value and, and, and ultimately a better, better experience from the provider. In terms of how we're going to build a relationship and make it long-term, I think, why well, no? The, the, just once the users understand what we're trying to do, the value proposition we're getting out there in terms of economics by changing their behavior with the mobile company and Melon in, in this case, I think we're going to have a very loyal base because, we, and we're not going to stop innovating. So yeah. this is phase one, and we've got a lot of, lot of things up our, our, our sleeve in terms of innovation and things we want to change. And we're not going to stop. And I think we want to be seen as the, the mobile company that debt with customers and, and not for its drivers. I mean, yeah. sure, we need to make money, otherwise we don't do all this stuff, right? So, so sure, we don't make money, but that's, it's never been my guiding principle. And I think yeah. when you're building a business for a higher purpose, it's always going to do better than what it should equal money. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I, I mean, we don't cultivate money in that. It's not, it's not the guiding principle. How are we going to make the next brand of million or billion or whatever? It's, it's not something we discuss. It's how do we build the best possible product in the market and the money will turn. Yeah. So it's just two different ways to You're speaking about purpose, but you've also mentioned value throughout the conversation. What does, you know, creating value as an entrepreneur mean to you? And how do you think other entrepreneurs can think about doing that? Look, I think the first thing is 
you've got to have higher purpose. If it's just to make money, I don't think that's an entrepreneurial trait because building a business is extremely hard. There's, there's no entrepreneurial startup process that's easy. It's absolutely not. Right from building the idea to getting funding to all of the other companies, there's literally nothing that's easy. And, and I think you would have experienced this and people you spoke to, I mean, yeah. I, I, I listened to a, a podcast on Airbnb star and founders. Yeah. During eight years, it's really hard. I'm sorry. I can relate, and I think most mm. people can relate. So if your entire purpose is money, you're not going to do that hard work, right? You're going you're gonna to quit at a point to say, listen, let me go for that to say corporate job or whatever. Mm. So you cannot have that as your guiding purpose. So, so that's my first thing is, is have a higher purpose. And then once you've got that, then there's a driving force that, you know, when you're not making your money, when it's extremely hard and you, know, you, you want to give up, you're like, well, there's still a purpose. Whereas when money's that purpose, it's quick and easy to turn around and say, well, I can get the money there elsewhere and it's going to be much easier with them to do that. So, so that's important. And then the value thing is, you know, I, I see value destruction often where price is the value proposition. Now, is the laziest, most annoying value proposition because you go right there, you say, let's be the cheapest in the market. You're not helping anybody, okay? Mm -hmm. Because you, sure, up front it looks good and, and, and you think this, and you're not going to last. You can't actually create sustainable processes. You can't have people in your call center, your service eventually degrades. So I, it's, there's a, there's a very fine balance and rather be, be priced, be like, be competitive, but rather create propositions that make sense these the, 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 the consumer ones and that you can stay afloat. I think that's the, the difference. And don't use prices as your, your play because it's, it's, it's a road to way. Yeah. What do you think of being, you know, the hardest part of building a business? And, you know, when you have that purpose and it's strong and you have the motivation, the challenges are still going to come. Oh, yeah. What do you think of, you know, some that stand out for you? I, I think that the hardest part of any founder or startup is the fact that you've got to, you wear multiple hats all the time, you know, when you're, when you're the strategy guy, then the next you're the, the financier or, or the <laughs> finding funders, you know, then it's, then it's the physical tech is, in this case, it's tech, then it's the, the marketing, it's, it's every single one of those things, you've got to, got to add hats on and you've got to make sure you do that. Now, it's, as long as you've got a clear vision and you know what you want and you stick to it, I think, and I think pivoting is important often mm. in startup, but I also think don't ever lose your core vision. I mean, one of the, 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 the amazing things that I got out of the Airbnb interview is that the amount of times they sat in front of funders where they were like, why did you change into a payments gateway? Why did you do this? Or look at hotels or where thing. And they were, I guess, stubborn in, in a certain sense. They, were, they had a clear vision of what they wanted to do and how they wanted to deliver it. And they stuck to the guns, you know, selling cereal boxes with a bomb on them uh, to, 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 to get the funding. <laughs> yeah. I, I love those stories. And, you know, it was $79 billion. But I think it's because they had a, an absolute focus, you know, and I think we can, we, we have an absolute core market that we're going after. I mean, I often get told, you know, why aren't you going after the top thing? Why aren't you going after the absolute knowing? And we can't be all to everyone. 
because you're going to lose your way. So we're very focused on, on who we are after, and it's important to stick to it. Yeah. What do you hope for you guys to achieve? You know, it's, it's very interesting. This might be the first interview I've had with a startup that's just launching. So it's like such an interesting experience. And what's your moonshot? You know, when we have another interview in a year, three years, five years, 10 years, what do you hope to have disrupted, changed, or moved in the market? And the value that you hope to have created for people as well? I think if we, if in the next three to five years, we can disrupt this industry in a positive way, we can bring down the price of data, but it's not bringing down the price of data for the sake of bringing down the price of data. It's, so, so I see it quite differently. So if you're spending 100 grand today on, on a gig, which is still spending 100 grand, but it should have five gigs or 10 gigs or whatever it is, and you just increase the consumption. So your, your usage, I mean, your, your RAND value doesn't change. We just give you more value. And I think if we can achieve that in the next three to five years where where data's not the, the barrier, it's the enabler. I think that, that, that's the big win here. I mean, you think for, for someone who's unemployed, hopeless, et cetera, et cetera, mm. if they've got data, they can get onto YouTube, you know, become a mechanic, you know, they can, well, there's a hundred videos like that. There's a thousand things you can do if you've got connectivity to the internet. And I think that's the powerful side of this. But if you, if you, you're worried about buying a five meg bundle, you're not going to go into YouTube to learn how to become a mechanic or one of the artists. If you know, listen, I can afford a gig or two or whatever else, and I can become an artisan and make you look after myself, well, that's great. And I think that's, that's where I see the, the, the analog of data for me and the internet. I mean, that's the powerful side of it. Yeah. What is one thing that you know now um, that you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey? Look, I think it's, it, it's been extremely hard, but I think I'm glad I didn't know. So it's probably the opposite. I'm glad I didn't know it was going to be this hard because mm. it, it might have put more questions. Whereas I went in with, uh, I saw an article the other day about entrepreneurs and startup founders have to be endlessly optimistic. And I think if there's one bit of advice, that's it. Go in with an absolutely optimistic mindset because the journey is going to be hard. And if you lose that optimism anywhere along the way, you're probably going to give up. So. I unluckily had that mindset to start with, and it, looking back, if I didn't have that mindset, we might not be here today. So, yeah, keep an optimistic mindset. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you so much. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also gain access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.